You're listening to I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Care of You. I hope you enjoy the show. Today, this is what you wanted. New skin for the old ceremony, the fourth studio album by Leonard Cohen. It was released in 1974 and was produced by Cohen and John Lasauer for Columbia Records. Uh, the album has been certified silver in the UK, but it did not chart in the Billboard Top 200. It's a real honor to have our guest with us today. He is a husband, a father, and also a bona fide rock star, former singer for Dream City Film Club, current singer for Miraculous Mule, United Sounds of Joy, and Hired Mourners. And he's also a solo artist in his own right, Michael J. Shihai. Welcome to the show, Michael. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. By the way, it's it's pronounced Shihi. <laughs> Shihi. Yeah. Wow. There that is go. embarrassing. I apologize. <laughs> the That's person right. who introduced me to your music has been saying it wrong for years, and I have <laughs> issues with him now. Let me try that one more time. On solo artist in his own right, Michael J. Shihi. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you. Nice to be here. Bloody Mary, I'll bid you farewell and make my way. So uh, tell me, how did this album enter your life? Right, well, I was about 18 years old and uh, my first girlfriend, who was a student nurse called Laura, she uh, handed me a cassette tape because she knew I loved music and she said, have you ever heard of this guy, Leonard Cohen? And I was like... I've heard the name, but yeah, I don't know much about him. And uh, it was, uh, you know, the greatest hits compilation. I think it came out in the mid seventies and it's the one where on the sleeve, he's kind of dressed in a tuxedo and has a, a carnation in his lapel jacket. And um, I remember thinking to myself, well, for a start, this, this isn't this isn't looking good you know this guy's wearing a tux and he's got a big old carnation and he just he doesn't look like my kind of guy you know? <laughs> um and then i put the cassette on and and yeah and to be honest the first time i listened to him i was just like i i don't understand this this guy has got a really nasally whiny voice he sounds utterly miserable um that you know this really isn't for me and I kind of forgot about it for uh, a year or so. And uh, then, you know, got my heart broken later on by a different girl, I might add. And then I, for some reason, put the cassette on. And it was particularly the song Famous Blue Raincoat that um, just absolutely blew me away. And uh, that's how my kind of obsession with Leonard Cohen began, really started to pick off each album you know gradually and eventually ended up at new skin for the old ceremony i don't know whether it's my favorite leonard cohen it's very hard to it's very hard to say really he's, he's one of those artists where you know he's done so many great albums that they're all you know they're, they're all got their merits you know but this one i think having listened to the first three i think possibly and, and and I think I got those before I got this one. I was struck by how different this sounded. That is something that happens with Leonard Cohen, particularly later on. Again, recent songs that comes, I think, is after this one, is another kind of leap forward. And then, of course, you get into um, the whole uh, 
you know, I'm your man and stuff like that, which which sounds very, very different as well. Um, I think one thing I should mention as well is there was a, another thing that really set me on the road with Leonard Cohen was um, there was a one of those tribute albums that came out, I guess it was towards the end of the 80s, maybe the early 90s, uh, called I'm Your Fan, which had a lot of people like Nick Cave, John Cale, Cahill uh, Coughlin from Fatma Mansions. I seem to remember him doing a Singer Must Die, actually, from this album on that. And that that compilation actually really struck me. I remember listening to that and thinking, wow, you know, these songs are great, you know. And listening to, back to that these days, I, I find it's it's not a great compilation. You know, there's a lot of versions on it that I kind of go, hmm, that's pretty poor. There, there, there's a few standout ones. The John Cale one is great. He does Hallelujah. And Nick Cave just dismantles um, Tower of Song, which is pretty amazing as well. But yeah, there was a couple of songs from New Skin for the Old Ceremony that were that. And I think I heard that comp before I heard the Leonard Cohen versions. So the first time I heard The Singer Must Die, it was Carol Coughlin's version. And I remember being struck by just how brilliant it was, you know, and what a great song it was. Uh, and I think the other one on this was Take This Longing. That was another one. I can't even remember who did that on on the I'm Your Fan album. But um, I, again, it was one of those songs where I was struck by just just how great it was, you know. But yeah, that that was the thing. I suppose heartbreak set me on the road to Leonard Cohen. <laughs> and, I, and I'm guessing that that's the case for a lot of people. <laughs> you know, it's either heartbreak or mental illness, isn't it? You know, and those are the two uh, the two things, I guess, that drag people into his music, you know, because I, I guess you feel understood when you feel like that, when you listen to somebody like Leonard Cohen. Yeah, he's... Uh... I remember somebody describing him as the uh, the Barry White for Poetry Girls. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, good way of describing him, I think. So yeah, I uh, talked about this before because I did um, uh, Songs of Love and Hate for a previous episode. Yeah. And uh, I had originally heard later era Leonard Cohen. Uh, and then I was also given that same compilation that you were talking about earlier uh, yeah. by a friend of mine. And uh, just, I devoured that. So I love yeah. the late era stuff. But when I got that first one, and it wasn't what I was expecting, obviously, because his voice was radically different than what it would become. Yeah. And uh, and I want to say that, because then after listening to that comp several million times, I decided I was going to go out and just get everything I could get my hands on. And the nice thing about Leonard Cohen is he doesn't have, uh, maybe, at, at least as far as from this direction, doesn't have a very formidable com um catalog yeah so it was pretty easy to to pick up a lot of his stuff in a short amount of time it wasn't like trying to get into you know bob dylan who has yeah. so many records or something you know just being able to say okay and is this is available right now i'll pick this one up and this was one of the first ones i got because it is fairly well represented on that on that uh, greatest hits package yes and songs of love and hate spent a lot of time as my favorite leonard cohen uh and this one surpassed it around 2013 when my son was born yeah and we named my son leonard oh wow i was listening to this yeah so i named him after i named him after leonard cohen so leonard thomas so i got to leonard cohen and tom waits there for you um <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> and the third one's you know me so he gets my last name. <laughs> uh 
<laughs> uh, and so I had this one in the car because the, the hospital that my wife uh, gave birth in was on the, on the other side of town. And it took me about an hour to drive there. And I was listening to this for whatever reason. This is the one that was in the car at the time. And um, I just had to at one point pull over because I got too emotional to drive. And this is the one that really kind of took over for uh, for songs of love and hate, which I still absolutely love. Yeah, but this is now uh, this is now my favorite record by him. So we're gonna jump into our uh, track by track analysis. So starting with side one, song one, is this what you wanted? You were the promise at dawn. I was the morning after. You were Jesus Christ, my Lord. I was the money lender. And I, God, I really love this song because of just how different this sounds to what he was doing for those first three records. Like you couldn't find this song anywhere on those first three records. No. Uh, and the instrumentation feels very 70s to me. So things that are going on with the hi-hat and some of the uh, uh, background music. And it, so it sounds a little dated, but in a, I think in a, in a good way. It doesn't sound cheesy. It's just, you could tell that this is a, is a song from the mid 70s. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it still has that classic Leonard Cohen. You know, there's a ton of great wordplay. Uh, but he seems a lot more playful. And Songs of Love and Hate is very difficult to, to listen to sometimes. And it can be very dour and it's very down. Yeah, yeah it's a dark uh, one. And it's, yeah, and, and it's just airtight, that one. And this really, I, I feel like this track was picked to go first because it sets it apart from that album quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, just with the, it's it's a lot more airy in the production. It's a little bit more bouncy. Uh, it's still very much a Leonard Cohen song, but it doesn't sound like anything you could hear on those first three records. Uh, so it's just, especially it's nowhere near stark and it, it has a lot of different things going on. Uh, I love the the language on this. I love the wordplay. Uh, yeah, it's I love the, the humor, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, you know, we talked a little bit before that I don't think people always get how sometimes he is being tongue in cheek and how he can be yeah. a little cheeky, a little funny. Uh, and in his delivery kind of belies that a lot. And this yeah. is one where I feel yeah. like it's that the humor is, is a lot more out in the open yes. uh, than you would yes. normally get. So what do you think about this one, Michael? Yeah, I mean, the same. It, 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 the, the humor is something that I think gets missed a lot with, with uh, Lenny Cohen. And, um, and I guess it, I don't think it was totally absent before this point but um it wasn't as pronounced i agree you know and um again going back to that that comp that uh tribute co compilation the i'm your fan i remember that was the first time i heard his song don't go home with your heart on as well mm -hmm. <laughs> and that that just blew my mind you know i was just like wow this guy really is just a master piss taker as, as well as everything else you know he's, he's, he's got a great sense of humor you know um and that really comes across particularly in this song but throughout this album as well there's you know this is quite a a, a a it's just more pronounced isn't it um so yeah no i totally totally agree and also yeah the production is is very yeah it's very notable isn't it i mean I think I was reading about this last night 
you know, just refreshing for this, where I was, uh, I picked up Sylvie Simmons' um, biography again and just read the few pages about uh, this album and how they produced it, you know, and uh, and it seemed very deliberate that they wanted wanted to set it apart from everything he'd done before that. And uh, and yeah, and this this first as an opening track, this reel it really does nail it on, doesn't it? You know, and uh, you get the, that instrumentation. It 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 was never there on on his previous ones, and it's the use of drums as well, isn't it? There's drums on this album, which the previous albums there, there's there's very little, if any, drums at all. You know, so, so it's um yeah, it's and it is it's a good opener. But yeah, there's some great lines in it. I mean, uh, I you know that I was the Reverend Freud, did you with manual orgasm? You know, I was the I was the dirty little boy, etc. You know that that those those lines are great. You know, it's just so many good lines in this song. Yeah, yeah, I love the the back and forth, and and some of them are you know it's like you know you were the beast of Babylon and I was Rin Tin Tin. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That that's one of those ones that always uh, that always struck me, but yeah, like you said, he went out of his way to make this one sound different. Even sought out to you know a different producer, yeah, and and just the, the I think the whole approach to writing the album was a bit different. So, uh, but then that brings us on to track two, uh, Chelsea Hotel number two. Yeah, but you got away, didn't you, babe? You just turn your back on the crowd. You got away, I never once heard you say I need you, I don't need you I need you, I don't need you And all of that jiving around And what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm told this was about Janis Joplin I, I, I don't know if that's true or not because obviously... A lot of these things, these stories are all kind of apocryphal and and I, I don't always believe what I read. Um, even if it's coming from the songwriter's mouth, I don't believe it sometimes. <laughs> yeah, um, because I think we're, we're all guilty of kind of uh, making up stories to fit whatever the narrative is and, and to, uh, you know, and, and sometimes they're a combination of people that you're writing about in songs, you know, um, it's not always the one person. Yeah, again, it's a really frank song in a lot of ways. Um, I find the last line really a bit devastating. It sounds like a bit of a a kiss off, really. That last ver uh, that that last verse, you know, um, where he sings about, you know, I remember you well in the Chelsea Hotel. That's all. I don't think of you that often, you know. Yeah, it sounds quite harsh to me. But yeah, it's a, it's an interesting song. It, it really is, and it's and it's one of his enduring songs, isn't it? I suppose it's one of the ones that people really know of his, um, probably because it it was on that compilation. Yeah, it just it seems to be one that is uh, a lot of people know and love. But yeah, I mean, it's a it's a frank song, isn't it? It's very frank, very honest and open. It seems he doesn't yeah, pull his punches. Yeah. It's uh, it, like I said, this is pretty straightforward, and and it takes a step back uh, as far as the instrumentation goes. So we're not going to get a full album of this big sound that we got from yeah. that first one. 
And I think, you know, musically, this could have fit on any of the first, well, uh, either of the first two records. I don't think this could be on the very first one, but on definitely on Songs of Love and Hate, this could have maybe fit in there somewhere. But yeah, there's some there's some terrific lines. And I love the, uh, you know, you, you told me again that you preferred handsome men, but for me, you would make an exception is. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a, that's so funny and so self-deprecating. Uh, but you took the words right out of my mouth as far as those, the final line is devastating. It's so, I mean, that's, that's a line that's made me tear up. Yeah. Because uh, it's such a beautiful tribute. And of course, the story is supposedly just about an afternoon tryst with Janis Joplin. And I think originally, uh, I think he made a joke because he had told her he was somebody different, but I can't remember who he said he was. Yeah. When they met in the elevator or whatever. But uh, yeah, uh, it's it's a straightforward. It, this is one that he really tells a story because uh, a lot of his songs are more poetic. And this is one that really says, you know, a very straightforward story that happened in one afternoon, let's say. Uh, but just that ending line is just it almost negates everything that comes before it. It's so brutal and harsh. And, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, hard to take. And like you said, this is one that is that is pretty popular for uh, for whatever reason. That when you're talking about the you know early era of of Cohen, you know, along with you know Suzanne and famous Blue Raincoat, this is probably the one that is uh, is best known. It feels like. Yeah. So then on to track three, Lover, Lover, Lover. I asked my father. I said, Father, change my name. The one I'm using now, it's covered up with fear and filth and cowardice and shame. Yes, and lover, 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 come back to me. This is the song that I had to pull over uh, because I couldn't drive to the hospital because I was tearing up a little bit <laughs> after the birth of my son. Uh, and it has that opening, uh, you know, I said, Father, change my name. Um, and I'm thinking, I hope. I never have to have this conversation with my son. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just, uh, there's just so much interesting things going on with this one. And, uh, you know, I, I love the music behind it. And, and I even love the how the chorus works. Even it's just him repeating, you know, lover, lover, lover. Just the conversation and, and so much about his identity. And obviously he's somebody who's suffered from depression for, you know, most of his life. And uh, it always seemed like he had, a bit of a fraught relationship, at least with his dad. And he was able to always turn this into song. And I just, this is, this is one of my all time favorites by him. I love this song so much. Uh, what do you think about this one? I, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's, I've never really thought about it hugely. Uh, it's, it's one of them songs where, you know, looking at it now and listening to it last night in preparation for this, I was struck by there's a kind of a real juxtaposition between the verses and the chorus. They don't necessarily at first glance seem to um, relate to each other. Yeah. Because, it, it, yeah, he seems to be singing about his father or, or or is he singing about God, you know, perhaps both. And then the chorus is, you know, lover, 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 come back to me, you know, which is, it seems like it's, you know, doesn't immediately seem to sit with the with the verse and that i find that interesting you know and um yeah i'm not i'm i'm not i'm not sure what the relationship is between the the verse and the chorus in this song it's it, it, it is an interesting one it is a little offsetting that way you're not quite sure uh where that bridge comes from to, yeah. to get there yeah uh 
And we saw him play in Rome when my wife was, I think, six or seven months pregnant. We had gone on like our last vacation, just the two of us kind of thing. And uh, we saw him play there and he played this song and it was just because he slows it down a little bit and it's got a big, huge guitar intro and it's beautiful. But yeah, like he said that, you know, not sure exactly who he's talking to. And when he's talking about change my name, I think if he's addressing his dad, obviously he's talking about his surname hmm. um, and then just how it gets to that chorus. And um, and it just, I think also going into his, in his own feelings of his physical attractiveness and uh, whatnot. It's, it's a good song, but yeah, there's yeah. still, there's still a bit of a mystery to it for me. I think maybe that's what keeps pulling me back to it. Yeah, no, it's an interesting one. And yeah, one of the ones that perhaps I, I haven't thought about that much, you know, and, and it's, uh, and it's interesting yeah, hearing your thoughts on it and also, yeah, just delving into it a little bit more. It's like, oh, wow. Yeah, that is interesting. You know, it's, it's, it's not immediately apparent to me what the relationship is there, you know? So on to track four, Field Commander Cohen. Wounded in the line of duty, parachuting acid into diplomatic cocktail parties, urging Fidel Castro to abandon fields and castles, leave it all and like a man. What do you think about this one? Uh, I love this one. I love this one. Again, it's that that that, that sly humor is there, you know. And um, it, it, yeah, it's 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 very odd. It's very strange, you know. It's this great that opening line, you know, is just killer. You know, the whole thing of dropping parachuting acid into the uh, diplomatic cocktail parties. You know, it's just it's brilliant. You know, just really really great stuff. Um, and I I love as well that the, the the use of strings on some of these songs, you know, and uh, I think this one as well has some great strings on it, that, which come in perhaps towards the end. Yeah, it's just just a brilliant song. Just very, very, you know, tongue-in-cheek, funny, you know, mysterious as well. Again, you know, it's, it's, it's not immediately obvious what it's all about, you know, but you can just dig into it and find little nuggets in there, you know. Yeah, and this is one that I didn't, I mean, I always thought the song was okay, uh, but his live version that came out on the album, like the uh, Field Commander Cohen yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, from yeah. 1979, that was actually released, I think, in 2000, 2001, somewhere in there. And it's his live version of this song that made me like really appreciate how good this song really is. Yeah, uh, And then going back in, and I, I love the studio version as well now, but it was a, a song I kind of overlooked because I think there's so many highs, so many great, great songs on this record that that was one that just had uh, initially escaped my attention. Yeah. And hearing the, the the live version and then coming back is I just, I love this song. It is, it's so funny and it's so just kind of weird and bizarre and supposedly based on a, a real guy who would do something like this or something. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure what the, what the, the full story is behind it. And this is the song that ended up with giving him a bit of a moniker. So I've, I've seen him referred to as the grocer of despair uh, several times in different interviews or, yeah. just, you know, people talking about him, your grocer of despair, which is such a, <laughs> such a terrific nickname and I'm, I'm sure that he hated it but uh yeah. yeah as much as you know madonna hates being called the material girl there's only so much you can do about it yeah i suppose the other thing to note on this song as well is is that you know with the first line glancing at 
Sylvie's book last night. Uh, this song was shortly after he had uh, uh, tried to volunteer for the Israeli army uh, in the Yom Kippur War. <laughs> uh, when he went up, when he went on his little excursion over there, when when, when that war broke out. And I think he wanted to go over there and fight. So it's kind of like, it's kind of funny, the whole, uh, that that sort of reference to himself as a soldier in the first line. And um, yeah, the, the whole kind of lover and fighter dichotomy of, uh, of, of Leonard Cohen, you know. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. I can't quite imagine, in it, imagine in him uh, <laughs> out there fighting, but... Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess he must have felt very, very strongly about it, you know? Yeah. Just, you know, at least a lot of fun stuff going on in this song. And I, and I think it's also the second time there must be, I know he wasn't a hundred percent sure about how he was going to go about writing this album. He kind of felt like he was done after those first three records that he was depleted. The songs weren't coming anymore. And it was during his, uh, you know, excursion over there that he found that the songs were coming back. He had just a little guitar with him and he was writing. And But I noticed that this is, I think, at least the second time uh, where he mentions kind of the trappings of fame, or at least with money. Uh, yeah. Because he refers to him like as your favorite singing millionaire. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then there was the, you know, the the limousines parked outside and, and Chelsea Hotel number two. And, and even though I don't believe he was ever incredibly successful. Uh, I mean, he, he was always appreciated as an artist, but I don't think he was a guy selling a ton of records. No. Um, and so I think that I, I can't tell if that's just, uh, again, if he's being a little bit tongue in cheek about being a millionaire or, or, or what, just, it seems like a cup there's a, that comes up a couple of times on this record. So sure. I thought yeah. that was, uh, that was pretty interesting. Number five, track five. Why don't you try? Why don't you try? To do without him Why don't you try To live alone Do you really need his hands For your passion Do you really need his heart For your throne uh, and this is another one that I feel has just a little bit of that 70s sound to it. I don't know. Is that like a bassoon being played? Whatever the horn that's being used here, the the, the, the reed instrument, uh, sounds very 70s to me. Like something you would almost hear like uh, in, on The Muppet Show or something. Yeah, it's kind of the 70s re referencing the jazz age, isn't it? That's uh, that's kind yeah. of what it is. Uh, and there, yeah, there is quite a bit of that on this album. But yeah, I mean, I kind of like it, you know. And, and, and yeah, I mean, I like, I, yeah. I like the kind of the way, uh, yeah, the Muppets is a, is a good reference, isn't it? You know, the the, the um, Cohen meets the Muppets. I like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, and lyrically, this one is is a little bit. Again, I, I can't tell if he's trying to be. I'm not sure what the exact approach is here because it it sounds like he's basically begging a lover not to go back to her other lover or something. You know, why don't you try to live without him? Don't, this is one that I haven't really invested much into. Like I like this song, uh, but it's not one that I, I have listened to on repeat. Almost every other, most of the other songs on this one have gotten that where they kind of burrow in, into my skin and I'll listen to them over and over again. And I like this one and I like the instrumentation on this one, but it's not a, a song that I've really invested a lot into. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I, I thought about the lyric on this was possibly given his 
domestic situation at the time, from what I've read, he didn't seem to take to fatherhood perhaps in the way that maybe I I have or, or, or perhaps you. It didn't have the calming effect perhaps it has on some people. I think perhaps he felt a little bit trapped by his domestic situation and was still very much a wanderer, very much want, wanted more out of life than just domestic bliss, I guess. And uh, I, I wondered whether this is him singing to his wife, you know, and offering her an out, <laughs> you know. Um, it's, it is a strange little song. But yeah, it, it's, it, uh, yeah, I wonder if it is that. I wonder if it is just more uh, him singing sort of to his wife and referring to himself as somebody else, if you know what I mean. But yeah, it's an inter yeah, interesting little song. But yeah, not not what not one of my favorites either. I have to say on this particular album. But it does uh, finish up with uh, side one, so that brings us to the end of side one of New Skin uh, for the old ceremony by Leonard Cohen here on I fucking love this record with our guest Michael J. Sheehy. Uh, so, Michael, now I mentioned at the beginning that you have uh, a couple of different projects uh, working. Yeah. Uh, what is uh, what are you what are you working on currently? What's your uh, what's on the front burner? Well, there's two things. I'm finishing off a solo album, which I've been working on for a couple of years now. So that will hopefully be mixed in the very, very near future and ready to be released soon. But to be honest, the hard thing these days, it's make, making the music isn't so tough, but actually trying to figure out what to do with it once you've made it is, is, is pretty tough in these day and age. And, and particularly as well, you know, trying to juggle that with being a full-time dad, a full-time stay-at-home dad. I, I'm just kind of trying to find the right time to release things to give them, I suppose, the best chance of being heard. So yeah, so I'm not I'm not really sure when it's going to come out yet. Is what I'm saying, and I'm also working on another United Sounds of Joy album as well, and yeah, still constantly uh, writing and playing with Miraculous Mule as well. We're sort of on a little bit of a a break. There's stuff going on, still just creating and and writing really, and wondering to what end I'm doing all of this. But, <laughs> but you know, I, I, I guess a lot of people are feeling like that at the moment. And um, particularly in the music business, you know, I think it's uh, it's always been a tough game. But I think, you know, a combination of advancing years for me and the whole internet digital revolution, you know, it's uh, it has its... It has its good points and it has its other side to it that I find completely mystifying. I think the the big problem for me with what's happened with uh, the digitization of, of everything, particularly in music, is just that it feels like it's devalued music somewhat. If you can have everything at your fingertips for free and it's not even a finite amount of anything, it's, it's everything. It ceases to be worth anything. And... Um, or, or at least in financial terms, it's it's not worth a great deal. But I mean, I'm sort of torn about it because they're like everybody. I I use the internet, and it's great to hear stuff that I can't track down, and it's great to hear new music, or, or even old music that's that's just slipped through the net, and to hear that come through and have that opportunity to hear it is is amazing. But the the flip side is is how do artists continue to make any kind of a living out of this so it's it's hard it's 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 really hard you know and the, and the whole album thing as well seems to have died a death you know i know most people don't 
you know, when, when people come around to their flat, you know, or their apartment or house or whatever to, you know, they'll have music on in the background. It's really an album, you know, it's always a playlist or, you know, of individual tracks. So that's another thing to bear in mind, I guess. Yeah. And I, I and obviously I think you and I are uh, just about the same age. And so I still appreciate the, the album as uh, a unit of thought, let's yeah. say. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I, I found, I find a little bit interesting about the digital revolution as far as the way it's uh, music is that I feel like when like people who are still putting together albums are putting together albums that are about the length of what they would have been uh, around this time when we're talking about with Cohen. Yeah. As opposed to in the, in the mid nineties when people were no longer thinking about two sides of vinyl and now yeah. just had like 80, 80 minutes of digital. And there's some great records that I've loved that I've talked about on this show that have some bloat. Oh, uh, you know, wow. Yeah. The, the I songs mean, are sure. a little bit longer than they need to be. And there's probably a, a two tracks longer than they need to be. And yeah, people aren't really even responsible for that anymore. I thought, Oh, you know, what are we going to, it's going to go crazy. And instead it went back the other way. I think again, you're seeing more 10, 11, 12 tracks on or 12 track albums. Yeah. I think it's a weird thing that, because I think a lot of that might stem from the vinyl revival, you know, as people are thinking, well, uh, vinyl seems to be outselling CDs currently uh so people are thinking okay we'll, we'll put it on vinyl the the costs of doing a double album are kind of prohibitive so let's make sure we've got a, a single album rather than a double album but also i think yeah attention span is an issue as well you know because i guess people are kind of like well don't have time to invest in in listening to a 70 minute album with loads of filler on it you know um so let's make it lean and and yeah that, and i was as guilty as anybody of that in the uh mid to late 90s of doing albums that were too long you know and um i don't know there was that whole thing with cd where you just felt like you had to fill it and it's like you really don't <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah, uh, I mean, some of the, you know, cause I, I mean, I love hip hop as well. And, you know, some of the hip hop albums from that era are just ridiculous. <laughs> you know, they're just like, there's just all these like skits as well. You know, they used to do these skits between songs and stuff like that. <laughs> just like, wow, this really could do with having some fat trimmed, you know, um, for sure. Yeah, it's an interesting one. But yeah, I have noticed that that trend as well. And it's something I'm very aware of now as well when I'm making a, an album. It's just like, yeah, this has got to be short and 40 minutes or less really is is the optimum time, I think. Yeah, yeah. If you give me a give me a 10, 10 track album that clocks in at about 37 minutes, that I'm very happy with that. that yeah, that, that works for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I feel like that it, it's more focused and you're not getting quite as much like, uh, you know, and I don't mind the occasional, like, I'm going to try something a little bit weird right here because it's track three. But yeah, uh, but when you're getting, it's like, okay, now this is track 14. And so I need to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, sure. Stop. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. I really look forward to the, uh, the to the new solo album coming out. Do you have a, a working title? Not yet. Not yet. I, I'm not even sure what name I'm going to release this under yet. So it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm umming and ahhing uh, at, at the moment, but I'll, I'll get there soon, I'm sure. But yeah, definitely hoping to have something new out in in the not not too far into the new year, whether it's an EP or a, a standalone track or something. Well, I will I will be looking forward to that very much so. So thank you. Quick note, Michael has actually released this album and I will be including the Bandcamp link in the show notes. And now, a word from one of our friends. 
Hi, I'm John, an amateur musician and dad. And I'm Harrison, his younger brother and a recovering know-it-all. And we host a podcast called Play Disc. John is open-minded and well-versed in music theory and composition. And Harrison is extremely online and reflexively contrarian. Hey, I'm not reflexively contrarian. Who wrote this copy? Every other Tuesday, we host a discussion on a different full album showcasing our contrasting energies and our idiosyncrasies, like John tying everything back to the Beatles or Harrison insisting everything is a ska song. Play Disc is available anywhere you get podcasts from. New episodes every other Tuesday. Catch, Catch you, you on, on the, the B-side. B-side. Let's get back to the show. So let's go ahead and flip the record over. Take us on to side two. So track six, There is a War. There is a war between the rich and poor, a war between the man and the woman. There is a war between the ones who say there is a war and the ones who say that there isn't. Why don't you come on back to the war? That's right, get in it. What do you think about this one? Yeah, interesting, interesting track. It's not my favorite on the record, I have to say. And I, I find, you know, some of the rhyming a little bit awkward and odd. But it, it's, yeah, I mean, it is what it is, you know, again. And, and and I find the production is quite interesting. Again, there's a really nice use of strings on this one uh, towards the end. An odd one, I think, an odd one. And again, one of those songs that possibly wouldn't have uh, featured on those first three albums so again it's that it's something where he's trying something new you know and he's trying something he hasn't done before yeah and I, and I always admire artists for doing that because it it can be much safer and easier for for an artist to just sit there and just go well I know what I'm good at so I'm just going to stick to doing that and uh you know regurgitating the same ideas and in fairness to to Cohen, he he never did that. He always tried to forge forward and 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 you know develop his sound, you know, um, and try different things. He wasn't afraid to fall on his ass, you know, and and I, I you know I admire him for that. I love this song. Uh, there's a real urgency to the way he sings it, like you said, that wouldn't be found on the earlier records sure. for the most part. Just the, the way the guitar, like the the, the guitar approach, I, I I think is fun. I think he was, always, I think a bit of an underrated guitar player. I'm, I know that wasn't his primary thing, what he would be known for, but I I enjoy the way he he would approach the guitar and be a little more with certain kinds of a, a flourish to it. And I, I'm not a musician, so I, I'm going to use dumb words right now. But I did like guitar playing too. I mean, I think it's very, it's a huge part of those early records, you know, um, all the way up to uh, uh, recent songs. I think, and uh, yeah, I mean that that you know, it's it's such an integral part of of the uh, of the music, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, and just the because uh, it's almost like this flamenco style or Spanish style guitar that he would do it at times, yeah. and absolutely beautiful. But this this one has that more of that urgency to it, so it's got a little bit of that flourish, but it's just it's pushing forward. And uh, this was a track that I just I always liked a lot, and I think a great way to start this second half. Uh, again, you know, with the first side, we had, you know, you start out with this bigger production than you're used to hearing from him. Uh, and then this one's a little bit more in his wheelhouse, but it does have that there's, there is some, some differences to it. And it's like, okay, I'm looking forward to the second half of this ride and see how it goes. All right. So then that brings us on to track seven, a singer must die. And I thank you. I thank you for doing your duty. You keepers of truth. 
you guardians of beauty. Your vision is right, my vision is wrong. I'm sorry for smudging the air with my song. Man, what a standout track this is. I love this song. I used to teach at an international high school and I had to teach in the uh, international baccalaureate program. And we did a thing on poetry and generally students don't like talking about poetry because it's hard to always get a handle on what anybody's talking about in poetry. And so one of the things that I had asked the, the students to do was to bring in a song that they felt was like a poem. And this was the example that I used, because if you look at the structure of this, this is very much a poem. Yeah. It has a, a, a definitive rhyme scheme and the cer certain uses of the language. And it has uh, some just really interesting imagery that's also fairly understandable because he's yeah. on trial. And so just being able to put that, I think this went a long way because you can just read this one as a poem. Like you don't have to hear the song. And with a few exceptions of, let's say, putting in a chorus, like if you kind of even strip it down just a little bit, this works as a standalone piece as a poem. Yeah. But then also to play them the song and hear how it sounds different when you listen to it as a song, as opposed to when you read it as poetry, uh, I thought was great because it was one that I felt connected, not maybe not with every single student, obviously, but with a lot, like people kind of got what the point was and in a way that was understandable and digestible outside of being a song. Now, within being a song, it is still great. There's a ton of great stuff going on here. And just, it feels like him so, again, tongue-in-cheek to his critics. Uh, you know, people who, especially after the third album, which I think people, a lot of people in the critical community thought he was just tired, that he had run out of ideas, that he wasn't going to be doing anything anymore. And then just the, you know, the sorry for smudging the air with my song. Your vision is, your vision is right. My vision is wrong. Sorry for smudging the air with my song mm -hmm. is so like just really low key. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. And it's great. I love this song. Yeah. No, what do you think? Uh, it's, yeah, it's one of my favorites on the album uh, for sure. And uh, I mean, it's funny the whole, uh, you know, po poetry versus song or, or what, you know, and essentially what the difference is, you know, between poetry and song. I guess, uh, you know, for me, I, I had an interesting debate with somebody about Leonard Cohen's poetry versus his songwriting. I think he was a much better songwriter than he was a poet. And even though he started out as a, a, a you know, right, as a poet, that was his thing. And then the songwriting came later. But there's a discipline that you have to apply when you're writing a song because you're you're, you're tethered by by the music, you know. Um, so you've got to write within certain parameters. And I think he was absolutely brilliant at that. He was so good at it. The good thing is as well is is that many of his lyrics, you can read them as poetry on the written page. They 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 just look amazing and and they they. They're brilliant. Uh, I think the thing that I was, uh, the, where the argument got heated was that I tried to point out to somebody that Charles Bukowski was was, was a far superior poet to Leonard Cohen. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, uh, and I also pointed out to this person, I said, also, Charles Bukowski was far less perverted <laughs> than Leonard Cohen as a writer and a poet as well, <laughs> despite his 
despite his reputation uh, uh, as being this, you know, uh, ladies' man and this kind of uh, bum poet laureate or whatever, you know. Um, but this is the thing, and I, I and I think the the discipline as a songwriter that 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 he had, and and the way he was able to feed his, his you know, his poetic sensibility through that, is is just really really special. And um, you know, I think, for instance, I, I would say that you know most of of Cohen's lyrics read better on the page than, say, Dylan's do. I think one of the only people for me that can rival him in terms of when I read them on the page, I think Nick Cave's lyrics uh, uh, again, he has that same thing where he, 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 I think uh, he labors over them. You know, he really does, and and they do. They read like poetry, you know. Um, so yeah, no. But this is a great song, and and yeah, and again, it's the humour, you know. I I just love the humour of this song, you know. Um, and the uh, yeah, and the, just some of the lines, you know, that that verse where it said, "The the night is thick, my defences are hid in the clothes of a woman I would like to forgive, in the rings of her silk, in the hinge of her thighs, or I have to go begging in beauty's disguise." You know, it's just like wow, you know, just amazing, beautiful stuff. Yeah, he, he was clearly a lover of language, and uh, I, I never really got into his poetry either. And you know, I consider Leonard Cohen to be my all-time favorite artist. And uh, but his last book of poetry, The Flame, there's yeah. been some fantastic stuff in there. Yeah, because uh, I feel that's a lot more like his songwriting as opposed to the poetry he was putting out in the yeah. sixth. Yeah, so, I, I, I mean, I enjoyed as well reading through his, uh, you know, the unfinished notes in that book. There was some really interesting stuff in there, you know. Um, uh, but I, I think, again, in his poetry, he wasn't afraid to, similarly, the way we're talking about, the way he's, he pushed forward with his sound and wasn't afraid to experiment and work with different producers. You know, I think with his poetry, he did try to, to you know, to go outside of his comfort zone, you know, and and do different things, whether they succeeded or not. I've got to be honest. I'm no, I'm no uh, English literature expert, and I, you know, and I, I'm I'm no expert on these things, you know. So I I, I couldn't say. But um, it, for me, it's all about what gets you in the gut. His songs always do that, you know. For me, it's poetry, not so much. You know, I struggle a little bit more with that. You know, and, and and which is why, again, why I sort of said the thing about Bukowski is because his his poetry always gets me in the gut, you know, always, and uh, and it's uh, that that's that's why I hold him in high esteem as a poet, you know. Mm-hmm. All right. So on to track eight. I tried to leave you. The years go by. think about this one right i tried to leave you again i i, I wonder again is, is he referring to his 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 domestic situation or is this something else from an older an older love who knows and and again he's it, sort of uh 1970s reinventing the jazz age sound is going on again isn't it um you know which i i've got to admit i i kind of like it you know and, and i think you're right it does it does date the songs uh slightly 
but it's a very simple isn't it it's a very simple little song and there's a, you know compared to some of his other stuff there's uh this is a very sort of pared down short lyric but yeah and and somewhat scathing you know in some ways you know uh he he really uh is uh the the master of that stuff but then it's funny the 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 last lines of this he's kind of trying to sort of salvage something from this this not exactly ideal relationship and i i really like those last three lines of this the, the sort of good night my darling i hope you're satisfied the bed is kind of narrow but my arms are open wide and here's a man still working for your smile i think that's absolutely beautiful you know it's just a really really great great lyric yeah, that is a, that's a terrific lyric. And uh, this one, it's funny that you brought that up because this reminds me a lot of Why Don't You Try? Yeah. In that it has a little bit of that dated feel and it's that same, I'm not sure who he's talking to. Uh, I think it, it takes a, a similar uh, lyrical approach. Uh, but again, that that final that final line really seals it. You know, that, that's what nails it and, and makes the song, uh, which makes this song good. Okay, so going on to the next track, Who by Fire. And who by fire, who by water, who in the sunshine, who in the nighttime, who by high ordeal, who by common trial, who in your merry, merry month of May, who by very slow decay, and who Shall I say is calling? This is maybe my favorite song on the album. It kind of changes a, a lot, but man, I just, there's something just haunting and beautiful about this song. And I remember it being used in a TV show, but I can't remember which one right now. And then that sending me out and listening, I must have listened to this song a hundred times after seeing it, just the way it was used in the show. And this is the one of those things he was so good at because this feels biblical, but it's very much um, we're st- like still grounded. Just the way he sings this one, and then the uh, the female vocals, which obviously is something he would use as a bit more of a crutch later on in his career. Uh, but here, just the way their voices work together um, is beautiful. I, I just I love this song. Yeah. What do you think about this one? Yeah, I mean the production on on this is is amazing it really is very very special and yeah i mean uh, reading about this last night apparently it's based on a hebrew prayer which is a, a, is interesting in terms of the that thing of of a, he's asking big questions but then each verse is kind of underpinned at the bottom with and who shall i say is calling <laughs> it's just it's just this kind of yeah, as you said, it it pulls it straight back down into reality. So it's almost as if it's somebody's drifting, and then it's like, well, no, but there's this real, there's real life, there's real mundane, everyday shit to be dealt with, you know, uh, while you're pondering all these big questions, you know. Um, and yeah, it's 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 a great song. It really is, you know, very very special. Yeah, and it's one that I'm surprised isn't a little bit more well-known, that this isn't one that's kind of made that leap to the uh, immediate imagination. But yeah. it's, it's been it's been used around, but, man, I, I, I just love that song. Yeah. And on to track 10, Take This Longing. Many men have loved the bell You fasten to the rain And everyone who wanted you 
They found what they will always want again. Uh, what do you think here? As this is possibly my favourite song on the album. I just think it's lyrically just a masterpiece. And I think, again, this is probably one of the songs on this album that could have turned up on the previous three. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've, I've heard his, this song apparently was about Nico, who he was, uh, you know, he was utterly obsessed with but couldn't get anywhere near her. Um, <laughs> you know, and that's, it's, it's all there, isn't it? You know, and, it, you know, just, just very... Uh, just a beautiful, beautiful song. And I, I think one of his, for me, one of his best, and it's just that whole, you know, just a, a great song about desire and longing, really. And, um, you know, he's, he's, he's nailed it, you know, absolutely nailed it. Yeah, this is such, this is almost like a quintessential Leonard Cohen song. Yeah. And I, I love the song before it, and I, I love this song as well. Um, but it's so just the way it's put together and it's so perfect in like you said with the background story because just take this longing from my tongue that just again that sounds biblical that sounds like it's been translated from something you know and then it's you know all about that you wanted to have sex with the woman that everybody in that scene wanted to have sex with and she didn't even notice he was around yeah and and there's that juxtaposition because it's that's a little bit funny, <laughs> you know, because uh, I'm sure he wasn't the only one obsessed with Nico. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, uh, you know, the, the the whole thing of it, yeah, you know, just take this longing from my tongue and it being biblical, but also very, very sexual as well. And and and, and then, I mean, one of the choruses where he says, just take this longing from my tongue and all the lonely things my hands have done could also be a, an allusion to masturbation. It's, you know, it's all of those, those things are in there, I feel, you know. Um, you know, it's just, it's just brilliant, really. Um, just absolutely fantastic song. Yeah, and we've talked a little bit about how the, the humour can be a bit subtle. Uh, but also like how dirty he can be sometimes is yeah. a bit subtle. Like you yeah. said, with that, with some of those lines, it's like, oh, you know, you may have listened to that song a hundred times and then finally there's the, oh no, okay, now I get what he's saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. filthy. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that brings us on to our final track, track 11, Leading Green Sleeves. Green Sleeves, all alone. This is such a great closer. The way he just ends up basically screaming at the end, really pushing his voice to its limit that you haven't, like we saw a couple of times on the previous record where he was really kind of pushing his voice out. And you, and this whole record, you don't really get that. I mean, he, this may be the sweetest his voice is uh, throughout his career uh, where he's not quite that nasally uh, mm. Dylan-ish kind of thing we saw in the first couple and it, he hadn't dropped down into the sub bass that he ended up in for the, the latter half of his career. So yeah. this is where I think he could still carry a melody a little bit better. Uh, and then just here, he's just blowing his voice out, just going for it. And like you said, he wasn't afraid to try new things and, and leave his comfort zone. 
And we see that repeatedly throughout this record in different ways. And then this one, it's intense. It's intense listening to him sing there at the end because you're wondering, is he going to make it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you think about this one? Yeah, it's, I, it is the vocal really that 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 does it for me. I, I Again, just to refresh, I read uh, the, the few pages about this album in Sylvie Simmons' book again. And apparently uh, this song was fueled by a Korean liqueur that uh, Roshi, you know, his uh, his uh, Buddhist uh, monk buddy, uh, was was actually allowed in the studio while they were making this album, apparently, which was uh, kind of, uh, he was the only sort of person that was allowed in. And uh, he would sit there sort of quietly drinking this stuff, uh, which he was very fond of because he said it was good for his... Uh, rheumatism <laughs> and uh apparently uh Le- leonard partook of it while he was doing the vocal for this song and he was he was quite drunk while he was doing it so apparently that that's what's fueled that that out there ending of this song and it is just a great way to end it <laughs> as well you know it's just a real guttural kind of drunken bawdy vocal but and also very oh, desperate you know and filled with longing and bitterness and all of that you know um uh, and yeah i mean he he really does push it out on that one um for sure and you know one thing i like about him and and uh, you know particularly on this song is he doesn't seem to have much vanity as a vocalist you know i think some singers are uh vain you know um particularly if you've got an okay voice you know and it's a trap that i've probably felt fell into a few times and you 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 sort of you just become too self-conscious you know and and um and then it prevents you from really nailing the emotion of what you're trying to to get across and he never seemed to struggle with that you know for me he always seemed to be able to to get that just right you know without fear you know he just he just did what he did and and I think that's great you know because yeah you can criticize his voice and and like I said you know when I first came across his music I was just like wow you know boy is this nasally whiny voice you know and um but then uh, you know I prefer his later his vocal on his later records you know where it's it's deeper and it's richer but by the same token I can't fault his you know the, the the emotional connection he makes with his voice and and what he brings to the songs through his voice. You know, um, on these earlier records, either. You know, yeah, I think he obviously always knew that his voice was a fairly limited instrument, and the uh, and the focus was there for needed to be on the words, mm. and uh, but he never, like you said, didn't fall into that trap of where he tried to sweeten it or maybe. I don't know. Like I said, he, he didn't feel self-conscious about it. No. Uh, and like even here, like with Johnny Cash, who also had a, you know, I think he has a great voice, but also a fairly limited voice. Yeah. And, uh, and you'll hear things where, you know, you have to remember to, you don't need to hit the note. You need to hit the connection. And yeah. I think uh, Cohen was always really good at that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, some better singers, don't always get that right, you know, because they're more worried, you know, or uh, or they just rely on their their sort of their gift rather than trying to really connect with what they're singing about. But yeah, you know, he 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 never really did that, which is great. 
All right, then. So that brings us to the end here. Do you have any final thoughts about this record? Uh, it's 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 a great album. I think it really is. And um, as I've said with Leonard Cohen, it's very, very hard to, to pick a, for me anyway, to pick one that I, w- I would say is my favorite. And there's so much variety as well, you know, and considering, as we've said, his, his, he wasn't prolific compared to somebody like Dylan, but he has as much variety for me. As, as somebody like Dylan, you know, in terms of the the different phases he went through and the different ways he pushed his sound, and and yeah, and you know, compared to the first three records, he's he's pushed it on, you know, and he's he's deliberately tried to do something that that is is different, and for whatever reasons he did that, I wonder whether there is, you know, he is slightly wounded by the criticisms he's received for his previous records uh and particularly the one preceding it which you know songs of love and hate for me is probably in my top three leonard cohen albums i think it's a great album and uh, as an artist if if you're sort of if if you receive that kind of criticism for something that you've worked hard on and you believe in it must be really tough you know and i wonder if this was you know if that marked this album and whether that's what directed a lot of the way it sounds and some of the lyrics as well, you know, and, um, and in a way it's a great response, you know, um, cause he's still Leonard Cohen, you know, and, uh, he, he hasn't, he hasn't diluted himself in any way, you know, um, perhaps he's, he's, he's guarded himself a little bit more, you know, some of the arrangements are perhaps a, a bit of armor and the humor might be a bit of armor, but it's, it's, it's all there. Yeah. And this really starts, I think, uh, like the second phase of his career for me. Yeah. So the, there's yeah. the first phase, those first three records, which really feel like a set. And then this one goes out of its way to, to, um, branch out from that. And I think we see that because in the album that comes out after this is uh, death of a ladies man, yes. uh, which is clearly an outlier in his entire catalog. Uh, yeah. and then I think after that there was what recent songs and which maybe sounded a little bit more like the first three, but not quite. So there's this kind of spongy middle that has some good stuff in it. And I think where he's really pushing himself and then phase yeah, three I mean. really starts with various positions and where he goes more towards the, the keyboard sound yeah. and his voice is dropped. Yeah. And, yeah. I, I, I like the fact, uh, yeah, recent songs is actually, I've got a real soft spot for because I love the kind of mariachi vibe he's gone for on that one. You know, it's uh, it's quite different. You know, there's just so much variety. I think that's the thing, you know. And, uh, and yeah, this is one of them records. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, this one is has spent quite a bit of time as my favorite. So uh, it's been it's been really fun talking about this record with you. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today, Michael. Pleasure. Uh, it, and if anybody wants to find out what's going on with you, if they want to find out about this uh, album or single or EP that hopefully will be coming out this year, uh, they can find all that at, uh, at Michael J. Sheehy, Sheehy, sorry, Michael J. Sheehy on Twitter, correct? Yeah, that's it. I'm there. Facebook as well. All the usual digital platforms as well. You can find the old records and yeah, you know, Spotify, et cetera, YouTube. All out there. All right. They can find music on Bandcamp as well, right? Yeah, there's, there's definitely some stuff on Bandcamp too. Okay. Well, we really appreciate you you taking your time out of your day. Uh, I hope uh, hope your wife and daughter are, are okay with uh, uh, losing you for about an hour. I really appreciate yeah. it. Tell them I said thanks. Thank you so much. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye.
Thank you for listening. You can find all of our episodes at lovethisrecord.com. Intro and outro music by The Ashes of Grissom. And thanks as always to original patron, Mark Evers.